Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this morning, we're continuing the series we entitled Insomnia. And it's looking at the stresses and the pressures and the anxieties of life, those things that kind of keep you awake at night, keep you worried and thinking about all that stuff. And today we're going to address one that is actually the single greatest source of worry and anxiety, Um, just hands down across the board. Anybody want to guess what that one is? Money. Wow, what a smart group. Either that or you all have firsthand experience, both. Um, Yeah. It is. It is one of the greatest sources of anxiety. In fact, it is in marriages one of the greatest sources of conflict. It's, it's just one of those things that just, man, we worry about it. We have anxiety about it, and particularly in today's economy because there's so much uncertainty. I mean, you know, the, <clears throat> the record unemployment, and that's not just a statistic. That's like affect, affected people here in our church family. Uh, people have had to take furlough days, um, cuts in their pay that they weren't expecting. And, and it's, it's a lot of uncertainty these days about that. So, so it's even heightened. And, and I think it keeps a lot of us awake at night. Um, and there's a lot of experts who have all kinds of debate on what the solution is. And it keeps going on. But truthfully, I think there's a lot of experts who are just scratching their head because they've never seen anything like this, at least not in their lifetime. And, 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 and what is the answer? <clears throat> a lot of experts... This morning, we're going to look at what one expert who I think is probably the greatest expert when it comes to the topic of money, the wisest one of all of them, Jesus. Do you know how Jesus spoke more about money than any single topic in his life on this earth, in his teachings on this earth? He spoke more about what, that one aspect of, of, our, um, of, our, of the kingdom of God and our relationship to him more than any other aspect of it because Jesus knew the human heart. He knew the human heart, and he knew that this is not just an economic issue. This isn't just a financial issue. This is really a spiritual issue. It really goes to the heart of who we are, and that's why he spoke so much about it. Um, this morning, we're going to look at one, <coughs> one passage. You have to excuse me. I, last couple of days, I've come down with this cough, <clears throat> and I'm trying not to cough into the microphone and hurt your ears. Um, in Luke chapter 12, though, there's a recording of one of the things that Jesus talked about when he talked about uh, money. And it actually happened. The setting is that he's teaching and uh, there's someone who comes up at the end of his teaching and comes up to him. And in verse 13, it says that someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge and our arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, Now you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. So take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then Jesus said these words. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich 
toward God. Some incredible insights that Jesus gave. And, and they come, I think, primarily from three statements that he made to kind of bracket the story. The first two statements he made before he told the story, and then, the, then he concluded it with this last statement. And, and I think those three statements just point out some very, very key concepts when it comes to your finances and your heart and all of that stuff. So this morning, we're going to talk about getting a grip on your finances. And I'm going to say up front, this is not a quick fix. I'm not going to give you something you can go out right here, you know, go out these doors and tomorrow morning your financial picture will be completely transformed. It doesn't work that way. What we're going to talk about is some deliberate strategies that you can take. Wise words. And they come from these three statements of Jesus. The first statement he made is watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And what he's saying is take a good hard look at your heart. Take a good look at your heart. Because your financial picture will not change unless there is a change of heart. Because that's really the root of the whole thing. He says, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, the reason he said that, I believe, is because greed is one of those sins. It's very, very subtle. Nowhere do you hear Jesus say things like, watch out against all kinds of murder. You know, because it's like, if you're doing murder, you pretty much know you're doing murder, you know? You got a pretty good idea. It's pretty obvious. He doesn't say, watch out against adultery. Don't wa- watch out against thievery. Because when you're doing those things, you know you're doing them. But he says, greed. Greed is one of those things. It's a little more subtle. You got to pay attention to this. It's a very subtle thing because it doesn't show itself all that much. And there's this myth, there's this illusion that I think we all live under that greed is somebody else's problem. Greed is a rich person's problem. Not me. I don't have enough money. I can't possibly be greedy. Greed, greed that's those AIG executives. That's, that's Bernie Madoff territory, okay? That's Goldman Sachs. Those executives, those are the people that have a problem with greed. I don't have a problem with greed. It's those rich people. But Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard. Pay attention, because the truth is that greed lurks in the corner of every human heart. It really does. This whole story and this whole setting comes up because a brother comes to him and says, Rabbi, would you tell my brother to to divide the inheritance? Give me my share. And, And what he's thinking is, My brother is so greedy. Our parents have died. We've got this inheritance, and he's keeping it all to himself. He's not giving any of it to me. He said, he is the greedy one. Master, would you go? And Jesus won't even get into it. He won't get into that. What he says is, watch out, because there's all kinds of greed out there. Yeah, that older brother, and by the way, culturally, he has every right to that. The the older brother becomes the executor of the will. And, and he really has right to all of it if he wants to. He doesn't have to do anything with it. He can keep it all to himself. And that's what the younger brother's complaining about. He says, he's keeping it all to himself. He's not giving it That greedy guy, that greedy brother of mine, would you tell him to divide the inheritance and give me my share? What the younger brother doesn't realize, he's just as greedy. I mean, think about it. If he's not greedy, why does he care about the inheritance? Because <coughs> he, he, the greed is... That now this inheritance, this, this stuff has gotten in the way of the relationship. 
And boy, have I not seen that a number of times. Where families get divided over inheritances. Families have squabbles over money issues. And some stop talking to each other because of financial things. And he says, Jesus, watch out because this this greed stuff, this is really, really subtle. You don't see it. You see it in other people. You don't see it so well in yourself. But the truth of the matter is, this younger brother is just as greedy. It just doesn't show itself in the same way. And that's why Jesus keeps saying, watch out. Be on your guard. Watch out. And and if you want to know how you can recognize greed, you can recognize greed very well by the pronouns that you use. Because Jesus tells this story. Listen to the words of this man. Very successful businessman. And he's been so successful that he's actually got more stuff than he has a place to put it. And so this is what he says. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods and say to myself, now you got enough. There is no mention of anybody else in his whole thing. All of his thinking, his whole business plan does not think of one other person. And that's a pretty good way of discovering greed in yourself. And if you think, well, that's not my problem, let me ask you this. Have you ever hear anybody here ever come into some money that you came into like unexpectedly? Like maybe a bonus check or, or a pay raise? Or maybe you did expect it, but maybe it was a little bit more. What is the first thought that comes to your mind when you get that extra bit of money? Now I can afford whatever it is. Now I, can finally, now I can finally buy that thing I've got my eye on. Now I can finally, that is, uh, unless maybe you're not like me, but that's what comes to my mind. Unexpected money. Now, now I can get what I really want. And that's just, that's just another sign of greed. It lurks in every human heart. And Jesus said, you got to watch out for that. All of this man's business plan, nowhere in any part of his business plan does anybody else come to mind. It's all me, mine, my own, myself, my, my, my. In fact, there's not even a thought of once I get all this and I build my bigger bonds, then when I have enough, then I can even maybe give some away. There's not even a thought to that. Even his future is wrapped up in what is going to be his. And here's the thing. When money becomes the focus, when possessions become the focus, it never creates compassion for other people. It never does. Jesus says, take a good look at your heart. Because you know what? We live in a bigger barns culture, don't we? I mean, isn't that the promise? Isn't that the American dream? Just someday I'll get this and then I can buy that and then it's bigger and brighter and shinier and newer. I mean, we are living a culture. It's bad enough that it lurks within our own hearts, but then we've got a whole culture that keeps telling us that's the way to live your life. We live in a bigger Barnes culture and it's the first thought when we come into that unexpected money. And if you want a clear condition, a clear picture of the condition of your heart, take a look at where your money goes. Jesus said this. He said that on more than one occasion, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's just saying, that's just a fact of life, folks. If you want to know the condition of your heart, look at where your finances go. 
Now, human nature is we don't want to know that. We don't want to take that good hard look. In fact, if there's a crisis, we just kind of, we play the denial game. We just kind of hope it's going to go away. It'll take care of itself. He said, no, take a good look at your heart. And then your program, we put a little insert in there. If you want to pull it out, it looks like this. It's a budgeting worksheet. And I don't even want you to do it. Here's my challenge to you. Take this thing home and not just what your hopes and dreams are. Just go through your personal finances right now. If you're a married couple, do this together and sit down and say, where is my money going? Where is my treasure? This is a pretty exhaustive list. And you can just take this thing. And if you want to, we've got, we'll have it. They'll help desk. We've got bigger versions of this if this is too small for you. But just say, get a clear and accurate picture of what your heart looks like right now. Because you'll never go anywhere with it until you get honest about where you are right now. My wife and I, we have to do this on a regular basis. In fact, I was going to preach on it this Sunday. So this week, we had to do it all over again. Because <laughs> I can't tell other people to do something I'm not willing to do. And we had to go back and take a look. Okay, where are we doing? How are we doing in this? Where are, what, what percentages go where? And it's something you, you could do regularly, at least once a year. Just take a good, hard look at your... Get a clear picture of what's going on with your finances. And then once you've got a clear picture, then, then start reordering your priorities. Okay, this is as is. Now, where do I want it to go? What do I want it to look like? Because that's going to mean reordering your priorities more than likely. And that's the second statement that Jesus made. He says, watch out, be on your guard against greed. But he says also, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life is not all about your stuff. Now, why does he have to say that? Because we know that. But we need reminding. He says, your life, your life is not your stuff. See, there's a funny thing about possessions. Possessions have this funny way of becoming our possessors. And after a while, it's tough to distinguish between the possessor and the possessee. It really is. And, and, and your possessions become the things that you got to keep feeding. You got to keep taking care of. You got to keep mowing that grass. You got to keep remodeling that kitchen. You got to keep doing you, You've heard of white elephant gifts? You know, you've, you've heard, you've probably done this at Christmas time, you know, bring a white elephant gift and you do this gift exchange at Christmas parties. Kind of, and it's usually some worthless piece of garbage you got in your house and you want to get rid of, wrap it up, put a bow on it, and give it to somebody else and it can be their problem, okay? And we play, do you know where that term comes from? Do you know where that white elephant gift, you know where that comes from? It goes way, way back in history. The king of Siam, when he had an enemy, what he would do is he would give them literally a white elephant gift. They would give them the gift of an albino elephant. And the reason he did this is because the white elephant was considered sacred. So you can't kill it. You have to feed it. You got to take care of it. If it gets sick, you got to nurse it. And the whole idea is they give the gift that will occupy all of your enemy's time and money and resources and just keep them so busy. That's how you get back at them. You don't even have to go to war. You just give them a present. That's where it comes from. And that's what happens with our possessions. After a while, our possessions start possessing us. They become white elephants. I don't know if you've seen this... um, New TV program, it's been out, I guess, probably one season now. It's called Hoarders. 
It's actually, there's actually two of them. One's called hoarders bearing alive, and the other one's hoarders something else. I don't know. But it's just, it's people who can't get rid of stuff. And I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a little bit snippet of, of what it looks like. And now, a TLC sneak peek of our new series, Hoarding Buried Alive. As a person that has a cluttered house, I'm not really digging bringing a new girlfriend over to say, hey, you know, this is me. I can shave, I can put on a fresh press shirt and look like I got it all going on, but I don't have people in my house. like this really 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 why can you tell me why hoarding buried alive now it's a it's it's a program about people who have deep psychological problems okay but there's a bit of hoarder in all of us and I don't consider myself a hoarder but I bet I bet if one of my friends from Uganda came and saw my garage they would say you live like this? Why? C- can you tell me why? See, we live in a bigger Barnes culture. And we just keep amassing stuff that we don't even use anymore. Because that greed thing is, that's deep in the heart of who we are. And, and there's this other myth The myth is this, that if I just get more, eventually getting more will get me to enough. And that's an illusion. More will never get you to enough. It never will. It never will. That is an illusion. That is a myth. More will never get me to enough. Even the story that Jesus told, did you notice something about this guy? Even in his success, even in his plans, he still doesn't have enough. Because look at what he says. I'll say to myself, future tense. I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat Drink and be merry. He says, once I get my bigger barns, then I will say. Once I get just a little bit more, then I will say, enough. But more never gets you to enough. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand. You'll never get to enough until you really sit down and reorder your priorities. What if, what if, what if in this financial crisis that our country is going through, that our world is going through, that you are probably going through, what if in the middle of this crisis we decided to say, enough. This is enough. What I have now is enough. The lifestyle that I am living is more than adequate. I just, if we could do... I, And I'm not telling you this as somebody who's got this all under control. Believe me. But what if we just got to the point, instead of saying more will get me to enough, we just started saying, this is enough. I don't need more. 
This really is enough. And if we decided that this was enough and just surrendered ownership, surrendered ownership because that's the other myth, that's the other illusion that we have, that this stuff is ours. That all this stuff that we're collecting, that all that we have amassed, that it really is ours. But Jesus, as he tells a story, finally this guy, God says to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now that's a rhetorical question that doesn't need an answer. But there is an answer to that question. What is the answer to that question? Who will get all that he has prepared for himself? Somebody else. That's the answer. Because sooner or later, no matter how much you have, no matter how much you've saved, sooner or later, somebody else is going to get it. You're not going to take any of it with you. Sooner or later, your stuff will become somebody else's stuff. And you know what they're going to do with it? They're throwing away most of it. Because it means nothing to them. Jesus is saying, Take a look. Just, just stop for a moment and look at your heart and, and reorder your priorities and just say enough. Say enough and then make a decision that whatever I get from here on out, Lord, then instead of just spending it all on myself, I'm going to maybe start using it for you. Because the truth of the matter is it really isn't mine. It really isn't yours. It's just on loan for you. For however many years you exist on this earth. And it's foolish to think that it's actually ours to keep. The truth is, it all really belongs to God. And he's just loaned it to us. And he kind of wants to see what we're going to do about it. One of my favorite stories, in fact, I've I've read this story before, but it's just, it's so funny. Um, It's a guy named Bob McHugh. And he tells the story about taking his son uh, to McDonald's. And they go through the McDonald's drive-thru and uh, gets his son a happy meal. And they're driving on the way home. And he says, as I was driving on the way home, I reached into his little happy meal box and I took out a French fry and put it in my mouth and ate it. And when he did that, his son got all upset and said, Dad, you can't have one of those. Those are my French fries. And he said, immediately I had three thoughts. The first was, I sat there and I thought, my child has forgotten that I am the source of all French fries. (laughs) I brought him here. I took him to McDonald's. I made the order. I paid for the order. And I handed them to him. And now I am driving him back home. He would not have any fries if it were not for me. The only reason that he has any fries is because of me, the great fry giver. Then the second thing he thought was, my child doesn't realize that I could take them away in a second if I wanted to, okay? Or on the other hand, I could buy him an entire truckload of fries if I wanted to, because I have the power to do either. And the third thought I realized was, I don't need his fries. In fact, I could easily get my own. I could buy myself a hundred packs of them if I wanted to. What I really wanted was for him to learn to be unselfish. See, the point of the story that Jesus is telling here is 
to cause us to stop and reflect on how we use our financial resources. He tells the story to make us stop and look at how we make those choices and what perspective we use when we make those choices. He wants us to stop and think by telling this story. He says, the story's about you. I remember a professor in college always you know, we read the parables, we read the stories of Jesus, and we always identify with the wrong person. We always think the story is about somebody else. The story is about us. And he tells the story to get us to stop and think, how do I use the resources I have been given? And what context do I use for even making those choices? He says, stop and look at your heart. Reorder your priorities. And then do something. Take a deliberate step of faith. The last statement at the end of telling the story, Jesus said, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. According to Jesus, the object of your life is to be rich toward God. That the main goal and the purpose and direction for your life should be developing a richness toward God. See, the foolishness of this man wasn't his success. He was very wise in being a good steward. He was very wise in the way that he carried on his business. He was very wise and successful because of his wisdom. The foolishness was in thinking that his success equaled his security. That's the foolishness. He never considered the condition of his soul. That's where he was foolish. Because the true riches are not richness of having. It is riches of being. It is being rich toward God. And what that looks like is that my heart begins to look a lot more like God's heart. That the things that touch God's heart begin to touch my heart. The character of a generous, giving, loving, compassionate God becomes the character of a loving, generous, giving, compassionate Ken. That's richness toward God. It's living in the present reality always with an eye towards eternity. That this is not all that there is. And it's remembering that every day of my life. Richness toward God puts a priority on people over possessions. And the way that you become rich toward God is to give. It's the only way it happens. Because Jesus goes on after he tells this story. And he goes on. So he says, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. He says, give. Give and you will develop a richness toward God. Give to the poor and you will develop, you will develop a heart that looks like God's. You will store up treasure in heaven. You will be making an investment in eternity because when you invest in people, when you invest in God's work in this world, when you invest in compassion, you're investing in eternity. Because when I give, what happens is it begins to reform my heart. 
It begins to change my perspective. It changes, begins to redirect the way that I live my life. Because when I give, what it does, one of the things it does is it weakens the pull of greed and selfishness in my life, which is always there pulling at me. When I give, I, I, I take a deliberate step in the opposite direction. When I give, it dismantles all of these myths about more and enough. When I give, what I'm doing is I am slowly transferring all of my trust and all of my security, not in myself, but in God. And that's why it's a step of faith. Giving really is a step of faith. Because if, you know, if I've got plenty, it's not so much. But if I'm in need, then giving is a huge step of faith. But the truth is, anytime you give, you are taking a step of faith. And God knows that. And what he wants more than anything else is to deepen our faith, to strengthen our faith, to change our hearts. He doesn't, he, he doesn't tell us to give because he needs our money. He doesn't tell us to give because somehow he is without and lacking. He tells us to give because it's a matter of our hearts. And that's what he wants to change. And that requires a step of faith. And God laid out a plan for that in his word. It's called the tithe. That just 10% of my income goes back to God's work. It goes and invests in compassion and invests in the kingdom of God. That I give back. It's not even mine. It's God's anyway. And giving reminds me of that. And I'll tell you, I have made incredibly stupid financial decisions in my lifetime. I have made some really bad choices when it came to what I did with my money. Believe me, I have made mistakes in this area. But the one thing, the one thing I have never stopped doing is giving. And my wife and I, this coming summer, will have been married 35 years, and from the day that we were married, in fact, from before we were married, we both put that principle into our lives that whatever we get, and sometimes it was not a lot, that 10% goes to God first. Now, I know that there are some people that you are in def- difficult financial straits, and, and tough, things are really, really tough, and, and you, it's tough for you to think about giving. So here's my challenge to you. Instead of 10%, just start 1%. Because see, God's, God's, God's idea is that it be planned, which means it goes into your budget, that it's prioritized, which means it's the first check that I write, and that it be percentage. Because we can't all give the same amount, but we can all give the same percentage. And so he says, these are the three P's when it comes to giving. That it's planned, that it's a priority, and that it's a percentage. That it's regular. That you do this. And, and, and God, all throughout scripture, God keeps making all these promises about do not worry about your life. Your heavenly father knows what you need. Trust him. Put your, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. Now he is not setting up a Ponzi scheme. He is just saying your life will be richer when you give. And that sounds so counterintuitive, but it is the truth. And it may not be a financial reward, but you will get back so much richness of life when you give because your heart becomes transformed.
And there's only one place in scripture, only one thing that I've ever been able to find in scripture where God actually says, test me in this. When I was a kid growing up, they used to have the Pepsi challenge. You know, try our product, you know, blind taste test or, or different companies do that. They give it 30 day challenge, you know, use our product for 30 days. And, and if it doesn't better your life, it doesn't, you know, Purina, Purina one, you know, use our product. If your dog isn't healthier after 30 days, you know, money back guarantee. Now that costs them money to make those kinds of challenges, to put those kinds of tests out there. But they're confident in their product that, it, that people will keep buying it. Because it's expensive to do that. God says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll need to build, build bigger barns. That you will not have enough room for it. He says, just test me. So here is my challenge to you this morning. And this is very, very practical. It's not a quick fix. It is setting a new direction for your finances. That you get a clear picture of what your heart looks like right now when it comes to your finances, that from that, you begin to decide, what do I want it to look like? What do I want it to look like? Reorder your priorities and then take a step of faith. 90 days. Here's the 90-day challenge. That if you are giving nothing, just start at 1%. If you, if, you, if you are not a giver at all, or it's you know, maybe you know, 10 bucks if I got it in my wallet on the way out or whatever, just percentage. Just start at 1%. If you're giving 5% already, how about 6 If you're giving 10%, up in it, 1%. And just see. Just see what God will do. Because he's got more than enough. And he, could, he has promised to care for you. He has promised to pour out blessings. He has promised these things to us. And this is not a positive, this is not a quick get rich rich quick scheme. This is just simply reordering your heart. And when you reorder your heart, God blesses. He just does. Like I said, I've made a lot of bad financial decisions in my life. But I've learned one thing. I can never outgive God. And I will tell you honestly. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that I would be living in the place that I live. In the home that God has provided for us. With the level of comfort that I experience in my lifestyle. And every time I make that trip to Uganda, I am reminded. I'm reminded I have more than enough. And so do you. No matter how desperate your finances look right now, more than enough. Do you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.